Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. If there is a path for legislators to express their disappointment with happenings related to their sports teams, I mean, what a new frontier for Minnesota legislators, right? If we follow the example in Florida, it's Jason. Welcome to Drive Time. Happy Monday. It is December 4th, and I was struck by a letter to a guy named Boo from a sitting United States senator. (laughs) I mean, with a senator on U.S. Senate letterhead, December 4th, 2023, Mr. Boo Corrigan. You're like, well, this is important. And Rick Scott tweets, breaking with a red alert light, I am demanding answers in transparency for the College Football Playoff Selection Committee following its unprecedented exclusion of Florida State University football from the playoffs. Boo, this will not stand. My first reaction was mockery. My second reaction is actually I don't think this is a bad use of elected officials' time and energy. Not saying I agree with their case, but I don't mind our elected officials standing up for some of the little things that we all care about. 651-461-9226. I have a feeling you guys don't feel the same way. Is this what you want our elected officials to be doing. Now, to tell the truth, which Minnesota elected official would be leading the charge if the Gophers had an undefeated season? <laughs> I'm sorry, can't even complete the sentence. You know, I mean, it's possible the Gophers would have an undefeated football season. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's fun to Are you drinking before the show? I don't know. I guess. I mean, there's no chance that would happen. But I I think we know who would be leading the congressional investigation on behalf of the Minnesota delegation, don't we? Dan's thinking about it. You think about it, too. Who would lead the Minnesota charge? I mean, I think it's obvious. It's an obvious. Well, I mean, Amy's busy with the yogurt thing now. Isn't that the latest? The, the lead in the yogurt or whatever? That, that... No, I didn't even, I oh, yeah, didn't no, even catch that one. We're, some... we're fighting. I'm also against lead in well, yogurt. Well, there's or something. That... I forget exactly, but there's something in the yogurt. Is she case. involved in the cantaloupe scandal? Probably that's next. I'm, it's in again, her I'm opposed. Yeah, it's in her wheelhouse. I'm opposed to... I would think Walls would be making the most noise, but he's not obviously a member of the congressional. Yeah, he would for sure. Yeah. Uh, 
now that he's been unleashed and he's live tweeting occasionally during Vikings football mm-hmm. and go for football. I, I, I guess I just don't mind this. It seems stupid, and I had to think it through because you're like, Rick Scott, U.S. Senator. There are a lot of things going on in the world right now. I mean, this letter is extensive. <laughs> it's it's a two-and-a-half-page letter. Right, but he didn't write it. He's got a staffer. Or 12. I don't know. This just sound, it. It, it just sounds like, like Rick, doesn't it? There are countless other concerns and arguments that could be voiced here, but the main issue is the justified perception of an unfair system that has wrongly disregarded the known strengths of an undefeated team over the speculated impact of losing a single player. While I doubt the committee's decision will be reversed. Yeah, well, well you're right yeah. about that. It's not. <laughs> I request you immediately respond to this letter with the following information. One, and then there are... Ten points. <laughs> oh gosh. Six five one four six one nine two two six. Amy Klobuchar would one thousand percent one thousand percent going to yeah. uh, would would be requesting additional information. I don't mind it. There look, as Dan said, this letter from Senator Rick Scott was not written by Rick Scott. How much time does it take for an outraged sports fan to fire off a letter alleging corruption, a conspiracy, an anti-Florida attitude, uh, a stolen election, uh, hatred toward... I I mean, you could just go on, right? Like, you just fire up the outrage generator and out, out it goes. But here is my... Here is why I think it's fine. A single senator or a single U.S. representative today in Washington, D.C., is not going to do anything significant, substantial. They're not solving hunger. They're not solving poverty. They probably were not in the midst of drafting incredible legislation. So taking two hours out of your day to talk about something that is a legitimate concern of people of Florida today, I think shows that they care about some of the same stuff we do. We all know it's not the biggest thing in the world, although in Florida today, is this the biggest thing in the world? Maybe. <laughs> although in parts of Florida. in parts of Florida. Right. But everyone can get united behind the idea that, like, whatever the man is, is kind of yeah, conspiring against yeah. you. Our team got screwed. Yeah. It is the fundamental emotion of sports. More so, stronger than our team won. We did it. It's we got screwed. And if you're Florida today, don't you feel like you got screwed? Some of of you may not know exactly what happened with college football, so we'll bring you up to speed on that. But the general question that I want your feedback on is how do you feel about elected officials wading into this territory? I think 10 years ago, you wouldn't see it. Today, I think you Mm -hmm. do. More because many because the game of politics is a game that is won and lost through social media interactions, through cable news appearances, 
there is more of a win the day approach in politics than I think there was 10 years ago, where it was more about what are your what are your overall accomplishments? What are you working on behind closed doors today? It's it's you can say it's performative and it is performative. It is. It is. There's no two ways about that. But that is but the game. That's politics. All politics is performative at this point. It would be amazing if you saw like a sitting elected official say, you know what? Like, I'm mad about this, but this is really none of our business. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? The cojones it would take of uh, a Florida senator or a representative to say, look, I'm mad about this, but give me a break. Like. Four teams got into the college football playoffs. Somebody was going to get hosed. Yes, the undefeated team got hosed, but get over it. Zero chance that would ever happen. Zero chance. Five teams for four spots in a subjective process. And that sort of caught up with the committee after... Years and years of people warning something like this is going to happen, something like this is And it will happen. never happen again. Not on this level. Right. I mean, there'll be somebody that's, you know, 13th out of the 12-team playoff that thinks that they should have got in. Uh, it happens every year with the NCAA men's basketball or women and women's basketball tournaments, right, that there's somebody that was on the bubble that was, you know, left out, snubbed, I believe. You know, there's yeah. always the list of who got snubbed. So that'll happen. But it won't ever obviously be an undefeated Power 5 conference champion that gets yeah. snubbed again. That's not going to happen. 651-461-9226. Do you think politicians should wade into this stuff with their official letters and demands and all of this? Or is this a waste of their time? That's what I want your feedback on. Lots of text coming in already. 651-461. I think it's fine. I think it's fine. I kind of like it. It. I don't know that you need two and a half for three-page letters demanding transparency. <laughs> it feels a little ridiculous. Former President Donald Trump weighed in. He blamed uh, Biden, DeSanctimonious, oh, okay. Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida. Uh, Senator Scott of the aforementioned three-page letter to Boo. Boo who? Boo Corrigan. He called the decision shocking. (laughs) Some state legislators are calling for lawsuits. A former FSU player who is a state rep called the bypassing of FSU a corrupt decision. The corruption of college football rears its ugly head again, says Corey Simon. He was a Philadelphia Eagles player as well. ESPN and Disney have a vested interest in the SEC participating in the CFP. Lawsuits should be filed tomorrow. (laughs) Now, Disney and Florida have a rocky history as well. They don't get along. The college football playoffs are broadcast on ESPN, which is owned by Disney. That's the one place where, you know, there is legitimacy in terms of the government looking into it. If there were any evidence, and and there's not, this is complete speculation on this particular lawmaker's part. If there were evidence of some form of corruption in this process, uh, then, then, okay. Then, you know, does does government maybe need to look into it? I I don't know that I have a huge problem. Right. Right. As it is, there's not, everybody understands who, everybody who understands this process understands why Florida state got left out. 
you don't have to, you don't have to like it, but you right. understand why it happened. You get it, and it wasn't if for Florida State's like any the, nonsense like that. Their starting quarterback got injured. Their backup quarterback. Got injured. Right. The backup quarterback was likely going to be back for a bowl game, but it's still not, you know, the not star. For sure. It's not the superstar quarterback. It is a weird it's a weird decision, right? Yeah. Instead it's of a totally saying subjective like, decision, yeah. Here's the record. They did play against some tough opponents. They weren't playing cupcake games. But if you look at the team at the end of the season, you say Mm, What's we're the a little worried yeah. about having another blowout right. like we did last year. What's the likelihood you're going to get you know, a, a good semifinal? This is going to be a good game. Yeah. Lots of good text. We'll share some of your feedback. Your calls welcome as well. 651-461-9226. Drive time with DeRussia continues next. We start our rotation of Christmas music. December 4th. I like it. I like Christmas music, so... You get to hear it. Dan likes it. It's two to nothing, and that's how this works. So hope hope you enjoy it. Hope you enjoy it over the next uh, couple of weeks leading up to Christmas. We're talking about Florida lawmakers who are considering lawsuits, legislation, a U.S. senator from Florida demanding transparency, hoping for a reversal over a college football playoff decision. And whether you want politicians weighing in on this or not, it's 651-461-9226. Alex on Twitter responded, saying a lot of current senators ran for office so they could be social media influencers and not by using their clout to advocate on important topics, which is what someone like AOC, whatever you think about her ideas, does, but by opining on whatever chum is in the news. We don't have that really as part of U.S. Senate races or even U.S. House races here in Minnesota necessarily. I think we've been sort of lucky that we haven't seen a true, like, next generation social media-driven campaign. We really haven't at the at the federal level. Have we? Am I missing? I don't – I mean – you might say Ilhan Omar is the closest we've come. Maybe, but her issues are like but it's not, big it's issues. It's not that. It's not that, right. Whether you agree or disagree with them, it's not like like she's trying to get on MSNBC. Uh, on the text line, Cities One Plumbing Talk and text line, I agree that the senators and reps are, are getting nothing done in Washington but seem to have the time to respond to this outrage. But I would say this has always been the case, says one texter. Maybe it's more obvious now, but I can remember numerous instances over the past decades where legislators have been outraged and threatened either sports or popular culture entities when things didn't go their way. Winners, losers, and whiners. All the drama, says another texter. I mean, this isn't whining if you're a Florida State fan, though. I mean, they're you, undefeated. They won a power five. Got hosed here. They did get hosed, I, I, and, and so would have any of the other two teams that got left out. You know, there was three yeah. teams for two spots. If if you were Texas, if you were Alabama, you would have a case that you got you know screwed over. Should they have been hosed? Probably. Yeah, yeah I probably. think. Yeah, I would have made the same yeah, decision. I would have too. Mike is in a car. You're on the city's one plumbing talk and text line. Mike, do you do you mind when senators or U.S. reps or state senators weigh in on this kind of stuff? 
You're on the air, Mike. Go ahead. Is this me? Yep, it's you. Well, let me check. Is it you? <laughs> okay. Uh, my, my, uh, I, 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 uh, am to think with us. If Alabama hadn't made it, what Senator Tommy Tuberville would have done, <laughs> probably put a hold on all funding for NCAA college. Um, to me, it's just kind of, kind of ridiculous that they're getting involved. Yeah. It is, it is ridiculous. If they're still, like, harping on this in two days from now, then then I'll be upset about it. But I guess I don't mind them taking one day and kind of blowing off the same steam that the rest of their constituents are blowing off. It is funny to think yeah, about what Tupperwill would do. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate that. If Amy Klobuchar got involved, says one texter, she'd use some good old-fashioned hot dish diplomacy. Maybe bring... <laughs> Bring over some bars, kind of talk it out. I tell you what, those coaches that have, uh, you know, LED light bulbs for sure. (laughs) Could we have federal and state senators and representatives work on the big issue existential problems and let the college governing bodies solve the college issues? No. No. No, because they're not going to do that. They're not going to do the former. We already know that. Here's the genius. If you Google right now... Florida, college football. The top stories are Senator Rick Scott demands answers over FSU snubbing as anger builds. That's the point. Florida lawmakers consider proposing state legislation. Florida Senator Rick Scott demands answers. It's all winning the day. Winning the day. Winning the Google search. That's going to be the thing now, right? And winning that day is fine as long as that is not the only thing that these folks are doing. And that is maybe a different question. 3.30, drive time with DeRussia. In 20 minutes, we're going to have a cookie battle, cookie survivor. Which cookie would you vote off the island? We'll do that in 20 minutes. But first, a local reporter puts to the test something that as early as last week, one of our guests asserted on this show that greater Minnesota is getting hosed when it comes to getting money for roads, getting money for their community. So who is paying more than they get? We'll talk about it next here on CCM. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. You hear it so often, it feels like it's got to be true. I know a lot of you feel that this is true, that greater Minnesota rural communities are overtaxed, underfunded, and ignored by metro legislators and metro-run Minnesota state government. It's a question that Madison McVann, for the Minnesota reporter, uh, reformer, I'm sorry to... Mess that up. But Madison's with us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline because she took a, a really deep dive into this issue of 
Where is the money coming from? Where is the money going? Basically, the fundamental question, Madison, is, you know, are our people in greater Minnesota getting screwed? That's essentially what what you were trying to provide data to give some insight on, right? Yep, that's the goal. Yeah, and I, I think it's really, really interesting. Give me the top-line takeaway from your uh, evaluation of all the available uh, data anyway from the state. Yeah, so when you take a look at state tax revenue and expenditures, you know, what is, where is the money coming from that they're collecting and then where does it go? Um, what the data show is that the Twin Cities Metro is the state's biggest driver of tax revenue and rural counties benefit more than the metro area from the, from government aids and credits. Um, so essentially, Twin Cities residents are paying more in taxes and getting less back than people in greater Minnesota. And, and I think greater Minnesota would be surprised by that because it when you read about what the big road projects are going to be or what the big sort of government spending is, it certainly feels like that more of that is happening, you know, and obviously some of that is obvious that there's more population here, but it feels like more of it is happening here in the metro. What 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 did you find as far as why the way we all feel about it maybe doesn't necessarily line up with the data? Yeah, so on the tax collection end, you know, why are are Twin Cities residents contributing more? It starts with the fact that people tend to earn higher salaries, so they're contributing more in income taxes. Um, the Twin Cities Metro is also responsible for a lot of the state's uh, sales tax collection. So that's kind of where it starts, Makes right? Sense. People yeah. in the Twin Cities are contributing more. And then for that piece that you asked about, you know, what are people getting back and why are people uh, in greater Minnesota getting back more than Metro residents? Part of that's just because it's more expensive to serve people in greater Minnesota. When people are more spread out, programs cost more, um, and you end up spending more per capita than you do in the Twin Cities. We're talking with uh, Maddie McVann, who is uh, writing in Minnesota Reformer. Uh, she's a Report for AmeriCorps member who covers the issue of economic mobility in the Reformer. You did find that Greater Minnesota does pay uh, uh, a higher chunk of gas tax than Twin Cities residents, right? Yes, that's correct. And that's mostly just because people drive more, right? That's a, yeah. that's a, it's called a regressive tax. So everybody across the state pays the same tax, which is 28 and a half cents per gallon. Um, but in, in rural areas, people just drive more. So greater Minnesota ends up contributing more to that revenue pool. When you look at where the money is going, I, I think, you know, I'm curious how you were able to to come up with an answer to say, like, all right, here's how much money is going to greater. You you did this by county, right? You did like seven county metro versus the rest of the state. Is that how you did it? Yeah, that's how, that's what I looked at as much as possible. And I also tried to isolate just state money. I mean, government funding is really complicated right. when you're talking about <laughs> yes. local taxes, state taxes, federal taxes, and then you know, all of those groups also contribute to different spending products, projects. So um, it can be hard to isolate just the state piece. And a lot of this was actually done by experts. So, for example, in transportation, I took a look at um, how that kind of compares between Metro and greater Minnesota. Mm. And for that, I spoke to experts at the University of Minnesota. Um, and what they found was that 
you know, same thing that the overall analysis showed, which is that the metro area contributes more in transportation funding than they receive in benefits. And, a lot, um, and that's yeah. from experts at the University of Minnesota Center for Transportation Studies. And a lot of transportation when you, th- you know, I think we look at the discussion at the state level, you look at the bonding bill and that sort of stuff. But the bulk of transportation spending is really happening on the local level with local property taxes, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Maddie McVann is with the Minnesota Reformer. Great story at minnesotareformer.com. I want to ask you about schools because that's often a flashpoint uh, where, where people look at the education formula. How, how is that? How is that shaking out? You know, one of one of the beauties of Minnesota is this idea that we all pay a higher income tax. So the state can kind of distribute that out for education. So just because you live in a, a less affluent zip code, you don't end up with subpar schools. How do, what did you find with the education component? Yeah, the education formula is really interesting because it actually, you know, from my analysis, seems set up in a way that benefits um, rural schools and inner city schools. Actually, the schools, the school districts that receive the least amount of funding from the state are the suburban districts because they tend to have higher uh, property values. So their property taxes can cover what they need. Um, actually, the district that received the most uh funding per student unit was Belgrade Bruton El Rosa School District, which is a rural district in central Minnesota. Part of what the formula, the education funding formula does is it gives extra money to schools that are, to school districts that are sparse. Hmm. Um, So that's why this rural district was the, uh, you know, received the most state money in 2022. Schools also receive more money if they serve high amounts of uh, low-income students, if they have high amounts of English learners. And so that's why some of the, uh, you know, urban school districts get more money um, for those things. So it really just kind of depends on a district-by-district basis. Some parts of the formula benefit rural schools, and some tend to benefit the urban ones. You report that the the baseline is about $7,100 per student student, but the, that education formula that you kind of talked about there has 14 different components to it. But, but you said like that, those, Bel- the Belgrade Bruton schools get 13,000 per student. Minneapolis public school get 8790 per pupil, uh, per student. So kind of that, that was interesting to me. And again, like it sort of makes sense if you have a really spread out district, you understand at least the logic there, but I, I, I'm curious if you've had reaction from some great some of the kind of people who really have uh, at the legislative level have been pushing this idea that greater minnesota gets a raw deal what what sort of reaction have you had to to your data which show you know you can analyze whether it's fair or not but it doesn't seem that greater minnesota is getting hosed based on your reporting yeah i haven't gotten a ton of reaction yet but i'm uh i'm sure this show will uh <laughs> only get some more so please let me know your thoughts y'all know where to find me yeah i just um, i think I it's what mentioned go ahead sorry just something related to you know whether whether or not rural is getting hosed i think like you said people can look at this data for themselves and you know come up with their own opinions about what's fair and what's not um but i did want to mention there are some real barriers for rural areas to getting funding um, you know, even though this data shows that greater Minnesota is getting more money than what they 
you know, contribute in taxes, there are some places where they struggle. And for example, in um, when they're applying for grants from the state, mm. you know, small towns don't usually have the staff to compete with some of the, um, you know, better resourced uh, urban nonprofits that we have here in the Twin Cities. So there are some places where they struggle, but it's not sure. necessarily with the with the um, you know the tax dollars that I analyzed here. That's super interesting and such a good point because the reality is, you know, when you look at affordable housing, that is often, you know, that is a grant situation. And you you uh, bring up in your story the mention uh, you mentioned Big Fork, four hundred people in northern Minnesota. Well, obviously, affordable housing is a major issue. Uh, there as it is everywhere. But when you only have 400 people and potentially you're you're applying for a grant that might serve 30 or 40 people or even 100 people, uh, if you're comparing a grant to serve 100 people or a grant that would serve 6,000 people, it's tough. It's tough to be big fork. It just is. Yeah, definitely. So I wanted to bring that up because there are some very real barriers to getting access to um, money that would help solve some of the issues that uh, greater Minnesota yeah. cities face. Yeah, it's one way of looking at it, right? Looking at the tax dollars that are coming in and those kind of dedicated tax dollars going out. But it certainly, I think, uh, it just gives, it rounds out this discussion in a way that I thought was worth uh, shining a light on. So I'm glad you did it, and I'm glad you spent some time with us. Yeah, thanks so much, Jason. Madison McVan is her name. Minnesota Reformer is where this story is published, minnesotareformer.com. Lots and lots of data in there. Obviously, no matter, you know, people will find what they want, <laughs> as you can do when you look at data. But it definitely does, for me anyway, uh, it makes me feel good that greater Minnesota isn't getting maybe as raw of a deal as some people make it seem like 348 your input always welcome we'll come back and and talk about another very important topic that of national cookie day here on cco tonight on cookie survivor the nuts are ganging up on the cool kid macadamia peanut butter and the least popular member of the alliance oatmeal raisin At Tribal Council, one cookie must go. Will chocolate chips survive? Will Snickerdoodle advance past the immunity challenge? Which cookie will outwit, outlast, and outplay the others? This is Cookie Survivor. It is National Cookie Day, and who are you voting off the island? Who's out? At 651-461-9226. Which cookie... Are you saying zero chance I'm eating that on the cookie exchange? For me, sugar cookie, no interest, no interest, don't want it. Oatmeal raisin. Should be strapped to a rocket and shot into the sun. I need to taste it to decide. When's the last time you had an oatmeal raisin? I'm, you know Too what? Soon. I'm sick of the oatmeal raisin slander in this world. <laughs> Everybody hates on oatmeal raisin. Why? Why? Because it's terrible. Maybe you've only had a terrible version. One of, of the few times raisin. I will ever say this following phrase: Chad Hartman is right. Yeah, a raisin is a failed grape, I, and I don't need failed fruit in my cookie. I just don't. 
I disagree. Because it's boring if I agree. So I strenuously disagree. You just haven't had good oatmeal raisin. You know what's overrated? Chocolate chip. Overrated. It's good, but not that good. Keep your text coming at 651-461-9226. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.